The air is hot despite the sun setting behind the giant trees. Their branches are heavy with Spanish moss, stooping them over, trailing into the glassy green water you're warned by rusted signs to stay out of, for fear of alligators and other dark shadows that could lurk under the surface. The strangest of these signs is at the end of the path, the others telling of how the swamp historically became a haven for runaway slaves and natives forced to flee from their lands. But this one is different. It simply says, always stay on the path as marked. Don't follow the lights that lead you away, because they may never let you make it back. This ridiculous warning makes you smile and roll your eyes as you turn to return the way of which you came. But even as your feet crunch the pine needles, something gives you a chill down your spine despite the sticky heat. You can hear a faint singing just past the sign. And when you look, you see a faint glimmering light. Welcome to the Blue Ceiling Porch. My name is Caitlin and I am your hostess again this week. I do apologize for the slight delay in recording and publishing. I originally planned on doing this podcast about something pretty well known across the United States and really across the world. I was going to do it about the sightings of Bigfoot in the South, but after doing some more research, it turns out that where the most noticeable Bigfoot sighting happened in the south at least there tend to be more than just bigfoot sighted there and it happened to be in the okefenokee swamp really in all the swamps in the south but that seems to be the most popular destination for oddities being seen and i just kept researching and finding just all sorts of interesting i don't know how to say it interesting creatures out here so i wanted to really get into the entire depth of what was out there and really study it and it sounds and to do a really good episode about it I found out that I finally decided that it didn't need to be about Bigfoot in particular there's been tons of episodes of different podcasts and tv shows and everything else about Bigfoot I recommend personally a few of Astonishing Legends in particular their podcast does a really great coverage of some of the more interesting Yeti stories Um, or Bigfoot stories or Sasquatch stories, whatever you want to call it. But in the South, I don't think whatever was seen was actually the same Sasquatch that everybody else seems to see everywhere else. First off, because it was in a swamp, and most of the time Sasquatch tends to hang out in the mountains. So that's your first sign. And they always seem to be very peaceful. And our reports of the Bigfoot-like monster is not the same at all. I'm actually, I'm going to dive into that right now. So let's just talk about Bigfoot in general before I dive into how I think that whatever was seen in the Okefenokee Swamp is not the same Bigfoot. If you go online and start researching, just very cursory, um, you come to find out 
that there's actually a few societies that study Bigfoot, study the big guy, and the most, I'd say, most professional website that I came across seems to be the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. They have a very specific way of reporting these sightings and which ones are hoaxes opposed to people who actually feel like they have seen a Bigfoot. Now, I want to talk about the general descriptions of Bigfoot. He's, he's a bipedal creature, a considered a non-human primate, and What's always noted is the way that they seem to be, excuse me, seem to be scared of other creatures and seem to be terrified of actually making contact with humans. Some fun facts. Um, it turns out that there is over 60 different terms used by different tribes across the United States for Bigfoot. Um, Sasquatch actually comes from a Native American tribe in the northern British Columbia area. And these creatures, these myths, all seem to share in common the things that I just previously mentioned. And while that is pretty much the basis of why Bigfoot has to exist, I do want to point out that a lot of supporters use these legends, of course, to back up how Bigfoot must exist. Uh, just like how I was talking about in my past episodes about how if you if something's seen everywhere, like a flood myth or something like that, then it tends to have a little bit more credibility. But some people do like to think that, not like to think, they seem to think that this is just a misappropriation of the Native American myths and should be taken as such, that when different Native American tribes talk about a creature that is like Sasquatch, it's something that is should be taken as a myth that they thought it was a myth when they were telling it it was just a story that they never actually saw the creature so that does put a little bit of damper on the ideas that we came up with as saying you know if it's a universally signed creature then it's usually something that might exist so now that i've got that out of the way you know, a general description of Sasquatch or Bigfoot, whatever have you, I'm going to talk about the story that I found that led me to make this episode. I'm going to start off by introducing the narrator of the story, Jedediah, Jedediah, excuse me, Jedediah Morse. He is actually the great-grandfather of Samuel Morse, who, you know, invented the telegram, so exciting things there, but... He was a geographer. He wrote textbooks about different regions and the, the typography. No, not typography. What word am I looking for? The descriptions of the land and, in general, the people in the land and everything like that. And this story in 1829 came from him. So it's one that I would say is probably a little bit more reliable than just a story that, you know, was passed down from grandpa to son or whatever. And it's a story about this group of hunters who went out just to bring back some game. And while they were out, they ran into the Bigfoot creature and was attacked and were attacked. And one was drug off of his horse. It was a very traumatic story. Apparently, 
they all made it back, but the one that was dragged off his horse did end up dying. They didn't manage to shoot the creature, or they shot him and it didn't make a difference. But that's not really the interesting part of the story. The interesting part of the story is that before they found the creature, they... Well, found the creature to get revenge on the creature for hurting their friend. They find these women, siren-like women. They're supposed to basically glow. And the Creek Indians called them the Daughters of the Sun. But they healed the injured hunter. And they fed the hunters. And they told them to they couldn't stay there with them, even though they enjoyed their company. Because their husbands, who were scary and ugly and mean, were going to be coming back. Now, before you get any ideas, I don't think those husbands could be Bigfoot. Just because the women, Sasquatch or what have you, always seem to look very similar to Sasquatch. But I do find the Daughters of the Sun mentioned very interesting because they barely mention it in the legend. But it's got to be the most mysterious part of the legend. Like, who are these ladies that apparently glow and are just called the Daughters of the Sun, and they just move on from them. Whenever you're researching, or when I was researching, I could not find anything that even resembled these ladies. Except for maybe, like, in Greek mythology, you know, like the sirens, so they have that quality. But the only thing that was similar to Daughters of the Sun was the title, and it was an Aztec legend, but it wasn't anything like this. This was That was just literally a daughter of the sun, like she was born from the sun. So it was like creation myth. It wasn't like these ladies that live in the swamp who glow and heal random hunters that they desire their company for. So that was really interesting to me. To me, it was actually the most interesting one because um, who are these ladies? Now, I, I went ahead and threw out that it couldn't be their husbands. Bigfoot couldn't be their husbands just because of how intelligent the ladies were. And so the husbands had to be of the same intelligence. Well, close enough. They had to be of the same species, are we right? And that's the only time that we see them and their husbands, like we don't ever see their husbands. But there's also another creature in the Okefenokee swamp lore, like just in general, and it's called the Honka which seems to be almost like Bigfoot. It's really huge and stinky, but it's very aggressive and it's very, very smart. And the women apparently are just as aggressive and just as smart. So while it would have fit the description of the aggressive creature that attacks the hunters, it doesn't really fit along with the rest of the story. So again, that is what is really interesting about that myth and what's really had me diving into the Okefenokee Swamp in general or just the general mythologies of swamps. It's so fascinating when you start to look into the history of the Okefenokee Swamp as a focus, but also just the role that swamps and marshes seem to have on the lore of southern legends. It's something that's spread out even to today's movies and everything else because if you remember one of the most recent Disney movies Disney princess movies was the princess and the frog and they had to go find mama Odie in the swamp who was the good woman who did hoodoo and voodoo which this is more of a Louisiana sort of thing but swamps are a general archetype or land archetype is if you will across the entire region so Going back to the original story, the one from Jedediah Moore, I want to point out that it was 
written or reported in 1829. Now, while that was going on in Georgia, in Arkansas, there was another similar story where hunters went off into the swamp and they got drug off their horses and attacked by this creature who was called the wild man of Arkansas, but he sounds very much like the honka, like I mentioned before, the Native American creature, or this same creature that attacked the Georgia hunters. And eventually, apparently, those legends are what evolved into the Boggy Creek monster of Arkansas. So that's just kind of neat to think about and something really cool to look at. Again, I don't think that this creature that shows up in Arkansas and in Georgia is the same as Sasquatch, just because of how he acted and everything else. And if you're going across, going by the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, there's just not as many sightings of Bigfoot in the South. The highest sightings are in Washington State and in California. Then there's no other state that actually cracks the top 10 of Bigfoot sightings in the whole list, according to that website, which is actually looks pretty reliable, if you ask me, um, compared to the other ones I saw. So personally, I guess it's time to talk about my personal opinion. Um, I told you that this episode was originally supposed to be about Bigfoot in the South, but morphed into a story about the swamp and how I seem to notice that more and more myths seem to merge from the swamp and it seems to be like its own living entity. And that's what's really cool about it. Apparently there's been so many different times that people have tried to take over the swamp or drain it or, you know, cut it down and it protects itself. It's called the Okefenokee Swamp. And Okefenokee actually means land of trembling earth. So it even has the ability to almost swallow anything that doesn't respect its power, which is a really interesting mythical quality that I find to be more interesting than Bigfoot itself. I like, I like the Bigfoot legends, don't get me wrong, but there's some kind of mystery and paranormal entity that seems to exist of the Okefenokee Swamp. Even whenever Jedediah Moore goes back later, apparently, to research this some more, the Native American tribe, the Creeks, at the end, at that point, told him that it's a very dangerous place, that people that go in there do not come out. And they even mentioned tigers and panthers and stuff like that. So all these creatures that apparently are very scary. But it might be very scary, but it also seems to protect its own because later on, whenever the land was taken from the Native Americans, a lot of them were able to flee to the swamp and be protected and not taken out instead of having to go on the Trail of Tears, which is really, really cool. So you have this entity within the swamp that seems to both protect and be menacing. So it wonder it goes back to that archetype of pure of heart. So maybe if you wander through it with the pure of heart and pure intentions, you're okay to stay in there. But if you're going in there to hunt it or to take advantage of it, it's going to either chew you up and eat you or spit you out, which is still very, very interesting to think about and something to be aware of if you're ever driving through on your way down to Florida for the beach. So, in conclusion, I'm not sure 
how this got so far away from me this week, but at the same time, it's something fun to think about. What's out there in that swamp? Is it sirens? Are there lights trying to lead you away? Or is it just a place where the land doesn't know if it's water or dirt? Thank you for listening to the Blue Ceiling Porch, a Southern Legends podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and especially review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasting content. Feel free to share with friends and family or whoever would like to hear these legends as well. Feel free to contact the Blue Ceiling Porch on Facebook or at our Tumblr at bluecealingporchpodcast.tumblr.com. This podcast was a labor of love written, produced, and edited by me, Caitlin Warren. All research sources are available on Tumblr or on our Facebook page. Again, thank you for listening and see you next time.